Christ. Um, I do just want to make one quick announcement, which is um, after the tragedy yesterday, I know oftentimes people wonder what are we doing to make sure that we are safe. And obviously we know that we don't want to become uh, kind of Fort Knox, if you will. But, uh, but you may have seen around uh, our shepherd team, which is um, kind of they have these orange um, um, badges and they oftentimes will have earpieces. You may see them as you go about uh, around the doorways or in the gathering space. And I want you to know that that's kind of our, um, our beginning stages as we kind of look at how can we make sure to uh, allow us to worship uh, freely and as safely as possible. And so uh, as a session and as a staff, we are continually talking about how we can uh, try to be as safe as possible. And so if you have any questions about that, please feel free to come and ask me and um, we can certainly talk more about our shepherd team. I'd be happy to do that with you. This is an exciting uh, day for us. Um, you know, of course, you know, we decided to move the uh, trunk retreat inside because of the rain, and now it's kind of sunny outside. So, uh, but if we wouldn't have done so, it would have been torrential downpours. So, uh, and it may still rain. Now I'm praying for rain uh, so that we know we made the right decision. But uh, we are excited about today and the opportunity we have to open our doors to the community. And, of course, the all-church brunch, which goes without saying that I am incredibly excited about that. And so if you are visiting with us, this morning, I would encourage you to come and eat. And uh, if you have children, or even if you don't, you just like candy, uh, you can come back after the 1030 service and uh, all inside you can go around and, uh, and eat till your heart's content. And so I encourage you to do that. So this morning, we are continuing in our look at what it looks like to be shaped like Jesus. Kind of our hope is that we go to bed uh, looking more like Jesus than when we woke up. And so uh, in order to do that this morning, we're going to take a look at a couple of texts. Um, the first one is the Gospel of Luke, a very well-known story that most of you will have heard. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This says, he, which is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and say, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. And then from Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you this morning. Help us to know what it looks like to be shaped like you and give us the courage to follow you in doing so. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So today we are going to look at the story of Zacchaeus, and I was a little bit reticent to do so because uh, about four years ago when we did the Jesus Storybook Bible, which was a great series, uh, I spoke on this particular uh, story, and I thought to myself, well, should we, should we do this already again? I mean, I don't want to kind of just be repeating myself, but then earlier in the week we were talking about Christmas Eve services, and I realized that on Christmas Eve I'm going to talk about the birth of Jesus for the fifth time with you guys, and, and you still think I should do that probably on Christmas Eve, right? I should and mix it up. Uh, So surely then I can talk about the story of Zacchaeus again. Now the good news is that this passage is incredibly rich. I mean, there are wonderful things in this particular story. Uh, As I've said before, it's a great story for children, right? There's a reason why children love it, not just because there's a song about it, but because of the fact that, you know, children understand what it's like to be short. They know what it's like when people are always towering over them and they can't see, right? So they feel a natural affinity for Zacchaeus, and, and they love climbing, right? I mean, kids love climbing trees. The sycamore tree was a was, was famous for being an easier tree to climb. The, 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 the limbs that come out tend to be a little bit lower. And, and right, most kids, as they're running around, they see a tree, they think, climb, right? And so, so kids love the story. They're easily kind of enraptured by it, I think. There's something else about the story that not most people don't talk about, I don't think. And it's not that big of a deal, I suppose. But I'm, I'm always intrigued by Jesus and just kind of how bold and brash he is. Did you, you ever think about that, how he invites himself over? He just looks up and he says, get down here. I must go to your house, right? And that's kind of weird. I think we read it so many times you don't think about it. But imagine if I went to your house and just And as soon as you opened, I didn't even ask you if I could come in. I just walked in and said, what's for dinner? You guys would be like, well, right? Jerry's even weirder than what I had imagined, right? And and it would just seem strange, almost rude in some ways, right? And it's funny, though, commentators, they talk about how hospitable Zacchaeus was. And I think, really? Because the guy didn't have much of a choice, did he? I mean, it's kind of like if I hold you up and I say, give me your wallet. And as soon as you give me your wallet, I start complimenting you on how generous you are to me. Right? It doesn't make much sense. I'm not sure Zacchaeus was so hospitable as much as the fact that he had to because Jesus almost forced him into it. I love thinking about how bold and brash Jesus oftentimes is. But then, of course, one of the things that we love talking about in the story of Zacchaeus is this reality of the incredible transformation that we see in Zacchaeus. Because of the fact that Jesus forced himself, if you will, into his home and that they ate together and they spent time together, because of this, all of a sudden we see this remarkable repentance, this turning of Zacchaeus. And, and we see it manifested, of course, by the fact that he, he, he says, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor, right? By the fact that he says, I'm going to, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll pay them back four times. I mean, it's an incredible transformation. In fact, Jesus says salvation has come to this house this day. And I love this image because it's this great reminder of the fact that salvation should both radically change who you are, but it should also affect those around you. 
right? That the poor should have more. That those with whom you work should see your generosity and your honesty, right? Everything begins to change because of the fact that Jesus decided to go to his house because of his salvation. Now, one of the other things, though, that's interesting to me about this passage, it's been pointed out that Zacchaeus, more than likely, if you looked at him day to day, if you were one of his contemporaries, you would have thought that he had it all together, that he had everything, right? That, 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 that surely he must be one happy guy. I mean, he is, he is, he is successful, right, as a, as a businessman, right? I mean, he's not just a tax collector. He is a chief tax collector, right? They don't just give you those things. You must be pretty proficient at what you do. He'd, he'd worked his way up the corporate or the governmental ladder, if you will. He was the chief tax collector and he was rich, right? I mean, he was wealthy, right? And, and I know that maybe you say, well, he's not very popular, but I might question that. While I know that there were some Pharisees and others who may not have liked him, what I have discovered is if you have enough money, you have a lot of friends, right? There's a lot of people who, with whom you are a pretty popular guy or a pretty popular gal if you have a lot of money. So it seems to me Zacchaeus had a nice house. He probably had a super fast chariot. He may have even had his lake house down by the Dead Sea. My guess is he was living the dream. It seemed like he had it all, which is this great, but, but he's clearly missing something. Right? What does he do? He's looking for Jesus. He runs, and we probably know this, most of us, for a man to have run in that day and age, it was not becoming to somebody. Somebody who had any kind of status would never have run like that. Not only that, he's climbing up a tree like he's a five-year-old. Right? I mean, he's looking like a buffoon. But it's this incredible kind of physical manifestation of what he is feeling like inside. And I think one of the things that we've talked about before, but I think it's easy for us to forget, is that those people around us who oftentimes may seem to have everything that they want may be missing out on the one thing they most need. And for us, we would say that is to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus. In other words, let us not just look at those who live around us and think, oh, they seem okay. There's no way that they would ever, uh, that they're missing out on the love of Jesus. They seem to have a good community. Everything seems fine. You have no idea where, if given an opportunity, they might run and climb a tree in order to know the love of God. But here is the critical thing. I think that we easily overlook when it comes to this story. You see, we love looking at how Zacchaeus was transformed. We love hearing about how, you know, how salvation came. We love to think about how the community around him was changed. These are the things that we tend to look at when it comes to this particular story. But what we oftentimes do not see is that none of it, none of it would have happened if Jesus didn't first see Zacchaeus. 
if Jesus had never noticed Zacchaeus and opened up availability in his schedule in order to be with Zacchaeus, none of that would have happened. There was Jesus surrounded by all of his friends, his disciples, the people he knew. There he was with an adoring crowd at this point at least. And amidst all of that busyness, and even as he sat there amongst all of his friends, the people that he liked to be with, what he did was he looked up and he noticed that there was this crazy guy who was sitting up in a tree. And he didn't just look up at this stranger and think, well, that's not so something you see every day, and then move on with his busy and important life. He stopped, he saw him, he noticed him, and he immediately created space for him. And this is what Jesus does again and again and again, right? We saw it a few weeks ago with the story about Jesus and when he saw Matthew or as Luke calls him Levi at the tax collector booth, he didn't just keep walking. He noticed him and he said, hey, why don't you come follow me? We see it. Maybe you know the story of the woman who was bleeding and they're in this big crowd and they're going and Jesus feels power that leaves because somebody touched his cloak and he says, no, let's stop. And the disciples said, no, let's just keep going. And he says, no, I want to see who is this person. He noticed that something wasn't right. Or what about the story of the blind Bartimaeus who's sitting there and he's yelling out to Jesus and those around him are like, shh, be quiet, right? I mean, in other words, there's some, you're not that important. There's other more important things for Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. And he calls him over to him. Jesus was always noticing the stranger. He was always aware And today, we want to talk about hospitality, the hospitality of Jesus. But what I want us to focus on today is something that we oftentimes overlook, which is the very first step of hospitality, which is to notice, is to be aware of the stranger that is around us. What does Hebrews 13 says? Hebrews 13, 2 that I read said, to notice, to welcome, to be hospitable to the stranger. What does hospitality mean? We've talked about this word before. Philozenia, phila, from which we get our word, a city of brotherly love, right? A word for love. Zena, zenos is of the other or the stranger. The love of the other. The love of the other. And do you want to know, if you want to love a stranger, you first have to notice him or her or him or her you first have to actually see them and then you have to create space for them and if we want to be shaped like Jesus if a second corinthians 3 that we keep talking about which says that we are becoming brighter and more beautiful as god enters our lives and we become more like him, if we really want to be more like Jesus and not make it as complicated as we oftentimes do, perhaps one good place to begin is to begin to open our eyes and to begin to notice the stranger, the person we do not know who is in our midst. Remember, Zacchaeus's life was radically changed. The people around Zacchaeus's life were radically changed. And it all began when Jesus saw him and spoke to him and welcomed him in. Now there's a reason 
why this is so important to me personally. Uh, Every two to three years, I like to share this story, the same story with you, because it's important, I think. It's the story of the time when I was in Scotland. And I was uh, living there, and I had an opportunity to travel around. I had a lot of time, as I like to say, but not a lot of money. And so I was always looking to do things on the cheap. And so uh, there was this little backpacker kind of uh, excursion to the highlands and the islands. I don't really know why they called it a backpacker other than you you put stuff on your back, but you weren't really walking. You took a a bus everywhere, right, which which is my style, really. And so we, we, we went, and then you would go to a particular city. You'd stay in a hostel. I've talked about hostels before. You know I hate them. But we... We stayed there nonetheless because they were cheap, and, uh, and, and then you could stay there as long as you want, and then you just hop back on the bus, and you just kept going around. It was great. And so, so, so on this day, we were in Inverness, which is kind of towards the north of Scotland, Inverness uh, meaning the mouth of the Ness. Uh, uh, um, so you remember the Loch Ness monster, of course. Uh, it's real. And so... Uh, so we were there, and, and, and on Sunday morning, I woke up, and, and, and so I said, okay, well, I'm going to go to church, and there was a church of Scotland about a mile away, so I got up, and a few, uh, a few backpackers and I, we started going to church. That's not true. Uh, they were, none of them were ready to do anything that morning, as I recall, so none of them went to church, but I did. I went to church, and so I walked my way about a mile to church. I had my boots on. I had my rain jacket on. It was perfect. I got to church and I knew what to expect. What do you do when you go to church? You, especially as a visitor, you go in, you shake a couple hands, you smile. You don't look like you're too forlorn because then people will really talk to you. So you look like you know what you're doing. You go and you worship and then you get out. You know this, right? And you get out as quickly as possible, right? As a visitor, this is just what you do. And so at least it's what I like to do. And, uh, I, you know, I've been to a lot of churches, so I kind of know that. And sure enough, as the service went on, it was a fine service. I mean, there were a couple things I really liked, some things I didn't like, but it was okay. And so after the service, I was ready to go. And I was ready to go because I was going to get me some fish and chips. I love fish and chips, and they're great in Scotland. And so I've never tried fish and chips in Inverness, so we were going to go there. And so I'm, I'm walking, I'm going out, and all of a sudden this guy, he stops me, right? He shakes my hand, and I know what you do in these moments. I've seen you guys do this. You kind of, you start like, oh, hey, and then, but then you just kind of keep the motion going, right? Like you're like, like you are important or like you have something pressing, right? And so you're like, hey, you know, hey, it was great to be with you. You know, I'm not going to be back. Usually that's what gets them. You know, I'm not from here. Uh, I, you won't see me again. That's usually when people stop caring because uh, the real reason oftentimes when they start talking to you is because they're hopeful that you're going to stick around and uh, start pledging or giving money. So anyway, so I said, no, you know, I, uh, I said, I got to go, but he wouldn't let go of me, right? The guy was kind of weird. He just goes, no, no, no. He's like, it's like, let's talk a little bit. And I was like, ah, oh, geez. And so, so we start talking and then he says, you know what? I have somebody I want you to meet. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And so I said, okay, sure, I'd love to. I did not want to. And so, so we go back, and we're like winding through all of these halls until we get back to this place. And then there's this guy he wants me to meet. And so I meet him, and oh, it's just great. And oh, it's great. I met his wife. I met his kids, a couple kids. And I said, oh, that's great. But the whole time I'm like, let's get out of here, right? I mean, my stomach was growling. And, and then he says, well, would you like to have lunch with me, this uh, man I had just met said. And I said, not really. And I didn't say that, but I thought that. And I said, oh, I didn't know how to get out of it. It felt rude at this point. So I said, oh, sure. And so, so I thought maybe we were going to go get some fish and chips someplace. And so, but we didn't. The guy took me to his house, right? Do you remember this? I, I went to his house and, 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 and two hours went, then three hours went, probably close to four hours we were there. It was, it was, it was amazing. 
And, and before you know it, it was almost dusk. And they, so they took me back to the hostel and I laid my head down and I thought, what just happened? I mean, it was incredible. Now look, I have been to a lot of churches in my life, right? And what I like to say, as you've probably heard me say, is that at pretty much 99% of them, when I go in, someone shakes my hand. Pretty much 99% of them, someone smiles. Pretty much 99% of them say, hey, we're so glad you're here. Probably 99% of them say, hey, we hope to see you again. That's fine. It's nice. But there has only been one church that has changed me because of how they welcomed me. Not just were friendly to me, not just were nice to me, but the way in which they saw me, they noticed me, and they created space in their lives for me. And because of that, this was 15 years ago, I have never forgotten them. I can't remember hardly any other churches that I went to during that year in Scotland or even, quite frankly, here in America. But what I remember is that particular church. And what I want you to know is that when I went in there, I did not want to be noticed at all. You see, so often when I talk about this with people, even ZPCers, if I can be so honest, one of the first things that they say is, well, you know, there's a lot of people who would just prefer to remain anonymous. They just want to come in and get out. And I say to them, oh, I know them. I am one of those people. I know how to sit in the back row. If I weren't here, I would always, if I weren't the pastor, I would always be sitting in the back row. When you come to something that I'm not up here and have to do something, more than likely you will find me on the back row. And when I visit other churches, I'm on the back row. I don't want to meet people. 99% of people, when they come in here, I will admit, if you said, hey, do you want someone to just get up and start talking to you? Like, no, I want to get out. But here's what I also want you to know, that there is just a bit, it may not be much, but there is just a bit more of them that wants to be noticed, that wants to know that they are important enough for you to stop what you are doing in order to speak to them, for you to stop, for them to know that they are important, that they matter. I don't question that there are people, maybe even a visitor right now who's coming in, he's like, no, do not listen to him. I don't question that. What I know is I walked into that church and I left that home a very different person. And that would not have happened if I had simply been greeted and said, hi, how are you, as happened almost every other time. Now, I want you to know something, ZPC. I want you to know that I think that you all are a remarkable community. In fact, we cultivate, it seems like, community here as much as we can. It was like that before I got here. I'm hopeful that we've kind of strengthened that. Uh, just this past week, I was in a meeting with someone who's been here for around a year. And he said one of the first things I noticed was how community-oriented this was. Like people were actually talking to each other. And I saw how important home groups were. All of those things. And I want you to know that I really think, we're not perfect, but I think we do a pretty doggone good job of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's great. But I also think we are ready to take it to the next 
level. And the next level is philozenia. It is loving the stranger. It is creating space. As Henry Nouwen says, one of the gifts that we as Christians bring to the world around us is a willingness to be available to others. One of the things that I have really appreciated about Ilya Morakovich, who is our youth person. I say he's new. He's been here probably about five months. I don't know how long you go until you're not new anymore, but he's been here about five months. And one of the great things about Elia is that he's always asking the question, what would this look like or feel like if you were a visitor? What would this look like or feel like if you were a stranger? Whether it's figuring out what do we say when we come up here on Sunday mornings and greet everyone. Whether it's what does it look like if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler and you're coming in here for the first time. Or, or even what does it look like if you, are, uh, if you come into the gathering space? Do you know where to go if you're a visitor? All of us, we know exactly where to go. We know what door to go through. We know what to do when you come in the gathering space. We've been around, most of us. But if you haven't been, if you are a stranger, and if we want to try to welcome them, then we have to think in a bigger way, right? If we want to actually follow Jesus, and that means noticing the stranger around us and trying to make the stranger feel comfortable, then we have to ask ourselves those questions. Now, here's what's kind of interesting, it seems to me, which is that churches are not the only ones, organizations that struggle with this, right? Uh, um, uh, Restaurants struggle with this as well. I was, uh, a couple months ago, I was at the Global Leadership Summit and I heard from a guy named Danny Meyer. Maybe you know Danny Meyer. He, he started uh, some top-end restaurants in New York City. And then uh, he began Shake Shack. It's, it's really good. No fish and chips. But it's very good. And, 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 and he's amazing. He's got an incredible track record. As far as I know, all of his restaurants, all of them, uh, are still thriving today, which is virtually unheard of in the restaurant business. And he wrote this book. After I, after I listened to him, I went to go. Uh, I bought it called Setting the Table, the Transforming Power of Hospitality in Business. And so I read it. It's a great read. I'd encourage you to read it if you want to. It's not a Christian book, but it's a fascinating read nonetheless. And, and, and so one of the things, one of the things that he says, uh, he says several things, but one of the things that he says is that, is that we in the restaurant business are much better at coddling our regular folks than we are at, at, at looking for and welcoming in the visitor, the first timer. I thought, well, that, I don't want to say anything, but churches might do that as well, Right? And then he goes on and he brought up this incredible word, I thought, called Ubuntu, which is a word that is oftentimes used in South Africa as a greeting. And what Ubuntu means is not hi, not how, not how are you. It means this, I see you. I see you. Right, which is which as Meyer talks about is this sense it feeds into what every human wants, what every Zacchaeus wants, what you want, what I want, which is to be seen, right? Which I thought was this beautiful word, right? Jesus umbutud, if you will, Zacchaeus, right? And all of a sudden, everything in his life changed. I see you. But there's something else that Meyer talked about that I thought was fascinating. If you were to ask, why do you think his customers love his restaurants? And they do reviews and they do all these things. You would think probably that the number one reason why they love the restaurants are because they love the The food. This is what all of us would think, I would imagine, right? They love the food. But what they have found is that's not actually what they put as number one. What they put as number one, what they love about his restaurants and the way that he does them is they love that they are seen and that they are known and that they are recognized. 
I mean, the food can't be horrible. I'm sure it's pretty good. But what they most say, they, what, what most draws in there is the fact that they are seen and recognized, which sounds eerily similar to what I have told you all, and my guess is 95% of you do not believe, which is that research shows that visitors, when they come into the church, decide in the first seven minutes if they are ever going to come back. Before the music usually, before the sermon, thank God. Within the first seven minutes, I know you don't believe me, I know you think, well, if they come in here, it's up to Jerry. Good luck. Hope today's better than usual. But if not, it's not our fault. What can we do? <laughs> A lot. Right within the first seven minutes, the stranger will know whether or not he or she is recognized, whether or not this is a church that is going to create space for him and her or her, whether or not they are important enough for that to happen. Right? And this is why, this is why our property team, one of our kind of driving questions is how can we make sure that our property, that our building is truly welcoming? I've said this before, but I'm going to have to keep repeating it. Not to coddling those who we love, but to the visitor, to the stranger. Just like when you invite somebody over to your home that you may not know, you go overboard to make sure that they know you are prepared, right? It's a horrible feeling. I felt it when you walk into a place, right, into someone's home, and you're kind of like, was this the day that they invited me in? Because there's nothing cooking for me. There's nothing ready. It doesn't look like they've picked up a doggone thing. I mean, what is going on, right? But to come in when you know that they have set the table for you, that they have been preparing this for a while, and that's one of the things that we're talking about. How can we help our property to do that, right? And, and that's why we've talked about our hospitality and assimilation team. How can we make sure we get the right people in the right places to make sure that we are ready to welcome people when they come in? And those things are good and right and wonderful, but they do not let any of you off the hook. I know, because if I were you, I would think the same thing. That you oftentimes think it's really about how good this service is or is not. But I want to encourage you to begin to reshape your understanding of what it means to welcome the stranger and that it doesn't mean saying someone else will do that or maybe next week we'll be in a right place to do that. You all are play a pivotal, the pivotal role in welcoming the stranger in our midst, whether that is here whether that's in your workplace, most of us know the person or the people who are really good at welcoming people, whether that's in your neighborhood, whether that's wherever it is that you play, any of those things. A few weeks ago, I was in uh, my home group on, uh, on Monday night. And, uh, and, and one of the guys was talking about this kind of dive that, 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 that he and his family like to go to up north, or he and his wife at least, a little bit up north from here. 
And, you know, if you've ever been, I've I waited tables uh, for quite a while. If you've been to a restaurant, my guess is most of us uh, have been to restaurants. Am I right? Okay. And so when you walk in, if there's a host or hostess there, you know what usually happens, right? They're usually very friendly. Not always, but oftentimes, right? Hey, how are you? It's good to see you. Uh, how many are in your party? Okay, five. All right. Uh, yeah, well, I, we have a table. Let's come on back. And it's, it's okay, right? I mean, I don't feel like I'm intruding on them, right? It's fine. It's nice. But he told me this story. He said that whenever someone comes into this particular restaurant, he said that the bartender, if he sees you and he doesn't recognize you and he has a feeling you've never been there before, that what he'll do is he'll stop and say, hey, there you are. We have been waiting for you, haven't we, guys? Right? Hey, there you are. We have been waiting for you, right? And when I heard that story, I thought, that is it. That is the difference that I am talking about between just being nice and friendly and feeling like we're not intruding on you by coming into this church and saying, hey, we have been waiting for, not just that, not just, we have been waiting for you, haven't we? Do you have any, any, any understanding of how different that feels? And I think that was the church that I was at at Inverness. And I want you to know that is the passion that I have here. And why is it so important? It is so important, it seems to me, because if we genuinely want to be a church who is introducing people to Jesus, to the Jesus who welcomed us and who loves us and who looked out and noticed us, if we genuinely want to be a church that is helping others to understand the salvation of God, we have to do more than just hope it will happen or hope that Jerry preaches a dynamic sermon. If we want to actually have an impact in our community and to have those of us who have been saved to be able to really genuinely make a change in our community, we have to do more than just think or hope it's going to happen. We have to be a people who realize that if that is going to occur, and if we genuinely want to be shaped like Jesus, that we have to begin to see the stranger through a different lens. There continue to be people in our gathering space who I know who I know are new or are newer, and they are not being spoken to. And I don't say this to chastise us. I don't say this to try to make us feel guilty. I didn't even have this down in my script. I just want you to know that when I see that, I know we're not quite there yet. But what I also know is that I have felt your love and I know that we can do this. And if we do, 
We and this community will not be the same. There are so many who come through these doors or who are in your neighborhood or at your workplace who want to know that they are seen, who want to know that they have been noticed, who need to feel the love of Jesus. And sometimes it simply begins with the willingness to say, Hey, there you are. We have been waiting for you. Haven't we? Let's pray. God, we are a people who long to be shaped by you. And to be shaped like you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us in the days ahead, Lord, to build off the love that we have received and the love that we already have for others. May we, Lord, have that one simple prayer. That we would notice. That we would see the stranger. That we would create space in our lives for that person. It's in your name we pray. Amen.